Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast dedicated to teaching you all about the wines of the world, the different regions, the different grape varieties, the different styles of wine, and the history and culture of wine. In this episode, we finish our focus on Spain by looking at continental Spain and then moving across to northwest Spain and where it's more Atlantic. And we'll begin by looking at La Mancha, which is the largest wine-producing region in the world. And this literally means parched earth. And so this is a very extreme, dry climate with very, very hot summers, but very cold winters. Quite high plateau, 500 to 700 meters in altitude, which results in those extreme uh, growing conditions. Half of all Spain's wine is made in La Mancha, with 700,000 hectares planted here, giving an idea of how big it is. And a lot of the wine, as you can imagine with this size, is fairly low quality bulk wine. A lot of it is made for Spanish brandy made in Jerez in the Sherry region, and from the grape Iron, which is a very neutral grape, not particularly interesting, and any wine made from it isn't very exciting, which is why a lot of it is grown for brandy. But this grape is drought resistant, which is important in these extreme hot summers. Um, a lot of garnacha is also planted here, and again, that re- the reputation that garnacha has in Spain for being quite simple comes from these plantings in La Mancha. However, La Mancha is improving, even the inexpensive wines are much better than they used to be, and this is the overall trend in Spain, with much better vineyard management and also wine production techniques in the winery, producing much cleaner wines, much more drinkable wines. And then there are pockets of high quality wine made in La Mancha, and this is where a lot of the Pagos are located. And so Pago literally means uh, estate, so an estate vineyard. Uh, Confusingly in Spain there are two different Uh, regulations for Pagos. One is sponsored by the government, another is an informal organization of growers and producers who um, have their own Pagos. But um, these are high quality because they're single estate. The vineyards must be connected to the wineries. It's not just that you own uh, vineyards in different parts of the region. They must all be together. And because they're a state, there's a real uh, quality control. And these producers are often quite experimental as well, working with these really good sites using Bordeaux varieties as well as local varieties. Within La Mancha, there's an historic region for a higher quality, and this is Valdepeñas. And this is at higher altitude, so it's 700 metres high. And that leads to greater quality because the days are moderated by the altitude, so it's not quite as hot, and that just slows the uh, growing season down a little bit. It is sheltered from the any maritime influence, though, so it's still purely continental because of the mountain range that it's located uh, at the foot, foothills of. The grape variety in Valdepeñas is Sensibel, which is the local name for Tempranillo, and oak is used here and produces similar styles to Rioja, uh, quite smooth with vanilla aromas, though certainly not as complex as Rioja, and also a much less expensive. And these are good wines, certainly traditionally the best of La Mancha, and they also plant Bordeaux grapes here as well. So moving um, northwards, bypassing Madrid and going into Castilla y León, which is the largest of Spain's autonomous regions. And this is uh, the northern part of the Meseta, so the northern part of the plateau. And it's high here, 880 to 1100 meters in altitude. And it's surrounded by mountains to both to the north and to the south, which produces this extreme continental climate, so there's no kind of respite from the weather. Uh, so it's harsh, cold winters again, and hot summers. And 
in those hot summers, they're very hot during the day, but the temperatures drop quickly as soon as the sun sets, so very cold nights, so really extreme conditions, and frosts can be a problem until May. So even though it's really hot summers, you have these cold winds as having a, a, a definite effect on the styles of the wine. But there are some very important regions within Castilla y Leon. Uh, broadly, there is the Castilla y Leon IGP, or Vino de la Tierra, which... Um, has looser rules, and this is by far the most important IGP level in Spain, producing good quality wines at quite low prices. But the famous regions within Castilla y León are Ribera del Duero, Toro, and Rueda. And Ribera del Duero has become extremely famous, challenging Rioja for being Spain's premium region. And now, I, I consider Ribera del Duero a byword for really high-quality wine, but it's a very recent development. Up until the 1970s, there was only one producer in Ribera del Duero, and that's Vega Sicilia, arguably um, Spain's greatest producer. But that was all that was there. And then in the late 70s, a, a man called Alejandro Fernandez um, invested in the region, and his Pescara label really elevated the reputation of Ribera del Duero, proof that good wine could be made there, even in these, in these extreme conditions. And now Ribera del Duero, in, that, in the last 40 years, has become considered the equal of Rioja. There are 19,000 hectares planted here, which is a third the size of Rioja. It became a DO in 1982. Plantings are at 700 to 850 metres altitude, so elevation is extremely important here. Temperatures can reach 40 degrees C during the day, so really hot, but that altitude means that it gets cool at night and a little respite from the heat during the day as well, just to slow that growing season down and really get the complexity of the grapes. Tempranillo is the most important grape here, also called uh, Tinto Fino or Tinto del Pais in Ribera del Duero. And the wines are quite different for Rioja, uh, much less blending, 100% Tempranillo is quite likely. The wines are more tannic, uh, higher alcohol and fuller bodied because it's a lot hotter in Ribera del Duero than it is in Rioja. And the wines are less likely to be traditional because Ribera del Duero in effect is a very modern region. So the use of new French oak rather than old American oak and no oxidative aromas. The wines can be quite tight when young, so they're extremely age-worthy. Also allowed in Ribera del Duero are 10% of Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot and Malbec. And these uh, just can influence the Tempranillo depending on the vintage. Uh, Cabernet Sauvignon can add black fruits, Merlot can soften the tannins, Malbec can beef up the tannins if that's required. And there is also a white grape grown in Ribera del Duero called Albio, uh, quite rare to see, and that can be made in a bit more of an oxidative style. That will not have its own DO, so that would be under the Castilla y Leon label rather than Ribera del Duero. Just going um, west of Ribera del Duero, the two other regions, Rueda and Toro. So Toro is wild and remote, going towards the Portuguese border. It became a DO in 1987, although it has a long history. But the wines here used to be quite rustic and full-bodied, and not uh, considered particularly high quality. But there's been a huge amount of investment into Toro in recent years, from Rioja producers, from Ribera del Duero producers, and even from Bordeaux producers as well. And it's considered good place to invest because the land isn't particularly expensive, so you can make good value alternatives to Ribera del Duero with a similar climate. Extreme, hot, um, dry and very stony soils. And controlling the grapes ripening here is quite important because there's 
so hot here they can get high levels high levels of sugar which could result in wines fermenting to 16% alcohol which is far too high and Toro actually forbids um, uh, the wines being anything more than 15% alcohol and then in between Ribera del Duero and Toro is Rueda and this again is another historic region but this went into decline after phylloxera and this is a common theme across Spain it never recovered from phylloxera in the way that France did and what happened in the 20th century is that a lot of palomino was planted which is the sherry grape and the wines were made like sherry in an oxidative style and these wines are still made but in the 1970s, with the birth of democracy, uh, Rueda really came back into fashion and into quality, and Verdeco, the local grape, was replanted very widely. And Verdeco is a much more interesting grape than Palomino. Palomino works because of its neutrality, which is important in sherry, but if you're actually making uh, dry, still wine, then you want something more interesting. And Verdeco is very similar to Sauvignon Blanc, which is also planted in the region. It's kind of a light, herbaceous, aromatic, fruity style of wine. And it's all about the purity of the aromatics of the grape, rather than the winemaking style. And again, it seems quite unusual that a style like Rueda, which is high in acidity and is really fresh, will be made in such a hot climate, but the altitude is all important. Moving um, northwest again, still in Castilla y Leon, but on the border with Galicia, is Biezo. And Biezo is a very fashionable region right now, very similar to Priorat in many ways. It's mountainous, very steep slopes, granite and slate soils, difficult to farm, lots of history, but these old vines have been abandoned, and now producers have moved into the region to revitalize it in the same way that they did with Priorat. And it's certainly extremely good quality. It's sheltered from the maritime influence, but also from the continental influence by the mountain range that it's a part of, which borders Castilla y Leon and Galicia. And so that produces quite fresh styles of wine from the Mencia grape, which in the past has been likened to Cabernet Franc, but it is distinct. But it has those red fruits and those kind of pencil shaving aromas and high acidity as well and really firm tannins. So these are a, a lighter bodied style of wine but still with that distinctive Spanish tannic um, quality to it. And these wines are definitely worth looking out for. And then we cross that mountain range into Galicia and this is separated by Spain from by that mountain range so it's a really distinct culture and it's close to Portugal and really shares more in common with Portugal than it does with Spain including the language Gallego which is more similar to Portuguese or at least in sound and this has been historically a very poor part of Spain lots of connections with South America in terms of emigration and also smuggling but it has uh, changed in the last few years because modern winemaking has been introduced into Galicia, which has improved the quality of the wines, and also a lot of funding from the EU to really um, aid investment into the region. Galicia is a very wet region, the wettest part of Spain by far. 1,300 millimetres of rain a year, which is in stark contrast to the continental climate we've just been talking about, which is extremely dry. At the same time, however, Galicia has 2,000 hours of sunshine a year, so you have a very wet conditions, but also very sunny conditions, so really quite unique. And all of this can lead to high yields with all that rain and all that sun, and they do have to be controlled. The most famous region within Galicia by far is Rioche Baixash, and this is named after flooded coastal valleys in the, coming in from the Atlantic Ocean. And it has a hugely Atlantic influence with lots of rainfall, and this produces very fresh styles of wine. 
And Rioja Baixa is just the area which led the resurrection of Spanish white wine from the 1970s onwards. Again, a historic region which after Phylloxera was planted to Palomino, and then in the 70s and 80s producers said, why don't we work with a local grape variety rather than one that's grown all the way down south in Sherry with a very different climate. And so they replanted Albarino. And this led to the um, the flourishing of Rioja Baixa, which is considered the highest quality white wine within Spain. So Albarino accounts for 90% of plantings in Rioja Baixash. It has thick skins, which means it's resistant to rot, which is very important in this wet maritime climate. The alcohol of Albarino is quite high, so it has quite a lot of sugar. Again, you've got all those sunny days. Acidity is very high, noticeably high. And the wines are very aromatic, very floral, with pear and peach aromas. Sometimes the wines are aged um, in oak, which I think distracts from the pure aromas of Albarino, and also the wines are sometimes aged on their lees, which really gives more body and weight and biscuity, nutty, toasty aromas to the wines, but usually it's just stainless steel and it's all about the grape variety. Within Rioja Baixas, there are five subzones. Val de Salnes is the coolest and the dampest, so the summers are dry, and this is the purest style of Albarino. Then O Rosal and Cardenado do Tea are the, on the northern slopes of the Minho River, which, is fa which faces Vinho Verde on the Portuguese border. So Rio Baixas is very close to uh, Vinho Verde in Portugal, and quite similar style of wine, though Vinho Verde is a little bit lighter. O Rosal, the best grapes are grown on south-facing terraces. The acidity is a little bit ho uh, lower here than it is in Val do Salnes. And then Condado do Tea is the warmest part of Rioja Baixas, furthest from the coast, and more powerful wines, which kind of lack a little bit of the subtlety of the best Rioja Baixas. Another region subzone is Suto Maior, which is the smallest, and then Ribera do Olha is the no most northerly with alluvial soils. So that's kind of vast um, terrain to cover, going from La Mancha, the largest region in the world, very hot continental climate, moving into Castilla y Leon with some of the great red wines and some extremely good white wines in the extreme continental climate, and then into Galicia, which is uh, much wetter and cooler and very distinct from the rest of Spain. So thank you for listening. This is Matthew, and this has been Matthew's World of Wine and Drink. <laughs>